I was at um, fire school, and if you uh, don't know what fire school is, so once a year uh, in Grand Island at the fairgrounds there, they do a weekend training for all the uh, volunteer uh, firefighters all across the state in Nebraska. Because there's like, oh, I forget what it is. It's like 12,000 volunteer firefighters across the state, or like it's a lot. And so that's where you come in, and they have all different... extrication, um, you know, rescue. Um, I forget the formal name, but it's basically breaking and entering, like lawful breaking and entering. Uh, but anyway, so that's and so I'll just switch to this one. One of the first years that, that I was there, um, this, this guy was going on about, um, just like the, the brotherhood in, in the fire department and how great and how wonderful it was. And it's just this fantastic thing. And, it, you know, if you just ever need anything, you know, fellow firefighters would be there. And and uh, and I'm listening to it. I'm like, yeah, I mean, yeah, sort of, yes. I mean, I, I get that. But the whole time that he was talking, I was just thinking, yeah, but it is not near so good as what I have experienced in the church. Like, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, and, and I've gotten a little little taste of that. But, I mean, the the support, the encouragement, the, the being there for one another, um, at times the loving word of correction, a, a willingness to forgive and re- repent and be reconciled, um, so much better, so much better uh, within the church. And when I speak of church, I don't just mean like small C church, like just your local church, but like big C church, right? So like global global church, you know, and just really any interaction with other brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, I've seen so many meals delivered and so many, you know, prayer chains go around and so much money raised. Uh, Just this last week, a guy on the USMB board, um, his his son was in an accident and had some internal bleeding bleeding in the brain, and they were really nervous about it. And so he informed Don, and then Don told us, and then just kind of everybody told everybody, you know, and it just it just spread all over the place. And then two, three days later, we get an email saying, you know, thank you, Jesus. He's fine. And, you know, he has to lie low for four to six weeks, but like he's good. Like, I mean, this is this is a miracle and just stories of that time and time again. Um, the best support I have ever received, the best support I have ever given has all been within the context of large C church. I mean, I could I could literally walk into just about any church service in the world and feel a certain degree of like comfort, um, peace, and kind of like almost kind of like you know like these are my people, you know. And I've been in a in a in a wide variety of church services, you know, from. You know, mega church with tens of thousands to like the church walls, or I think they were grain sacks. Were I mean, like and and like animals like running in and out of the service. You know, I mean, but there's a sense of like camaraderie or fellowship that existed in all of those settings because you know that like we're part of the same family and we're here for the, the same purpose. And um, so anyways, uh, Bonhoeffer, v- 
very smart guy, uh, lived in Germany during the uh, Second World War. Uh, he was executed um, in, in a, inside a concentration camp. He's one of those guys where you, you read his life story and, like, what he accomplished by, like, age 30, and you're just like, wow, I am a lazy individual. You know, like, the guy just did a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, he has this great little book uh, called Life Together, and a couple, I mean, the, the book is filled with all kinds of great stuff, but in, in one part he writes this, he goes, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. The believer feels no shame when he yearns for the physical presence of other Christians. The prisoner, the sick, the Christian in exile sees in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. During our lockdown and our time apart, we kind of experienced a small a small sampling of that. Um, Philippians, you know, we went through the book of Philippians. Paul, in, in his opening remarks to the Philippians, he, he's talking about how he misses the people, and he writes, it is right for me to feel this way about you, about how he misses them and how he wants to see them again, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. The community that we experience through Christ the community that we experience because of Christ is, is a powerful thing. And sometimes we get used to it, and, and I don't, uh, maybe numb to it is the right word because we're so blessed by it. I mean, we're, we can gather every week, and we live in, in a community and in a culture that is um, uh, in, in many ways very Christian. And, and, and so in, in some ways we kind of get to indulge in it kind of day by day, and, and we just kind of get numb to almost just like how wonderful it is. Um, but we, in, in COVID, we, we kind of got a, a small taste of, of what that's like. And, and, then, and then in the riots, we, we witness a world that is hungry for authentic community and is, and is trying to figure out how do, we, how do we do community together. Last week, we looked at Romans 1.16. Uh, Paul is in the book of, of Romans. He, he writes a letter uh, to the church in Rome. He wants to come visit. And then basically he does this amazing outline of the gospel in great detail. But he really begins his letter with these words, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And really, any, any kind of resolution to life's problems that don't begin with that is not really going to resolve anything. Uh, today, I want to jump ahead, actually, to Romans 12. Now, there's a danger in doing that, uh, in jumping ahead to, to Romans 12. Uh, and I think all of Paul's letters, he has a very simple pattern where he will begin his letter talking about uh, our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ, what it, what it means to be seated in Christ, and all that kind of thing. Once he has laid that foundation, then he will transition to the practicals of living that out. And we're kind of skipping that, that, that first part, um, so, so we just we need to be aware of that. But I, Romans 12 has some stuff for us today that, that we need to cover. But 
um, just be aware that, that that's all very significant. And in fact, Romans 12, it begins with this, uh, this phrase, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. And the commentaries and the scholars say that that word therefore, and I don't know if it's a grammatical cue or what, but therefore, like it's not referring to, to Romans 11 or, or Romans 10, like it's actually referring to Romans 1 through 11. Like grammatically they're saying, like this is a, is, is a transition in the entire book of Romans where he transitions really from the identity in Christ piece to this is how we kind of practically live this out. So there's a pretty big transition there on that, therefore. He continues on, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so from the very beginning, we're called to be living sacrifices, meaning we, we offer ourselves freely from the Lord, right? Like this is that attitude that says, here am I, Lord, send me, and, and Lord, I want to be used for your purpose and, and for your glory. The, the, the problem with a living sacrifice, though, is that it can crawl off the altar at any time. And so there's always this, this temptation to say, well, that was fun, um, moving on. Uh, well, let's not do that again. But I think that's why the transform by the renewal of your mind is so very important. The battle is always for the mind. The battle is always for the mind. If the devil can get a hold of your thinking, he wins. But, but if, if Scripture, if the Holy Spirit can get into your thinking, right, then the truth of God wins. The, the battle is always for the mind. The, the next few verses, verses 3 to um, 8, I'm not going to read them, uh, but just to, to say that um, he, he talks about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts get mentioned. Um, there's kind of four distinct spots in Scripture where they get named. He talks about it generically, and then he gives a few specific examples, prophecy and service and teaching and encouragement and, and that kind of thing. The, the key thing on this that, that I would just share with you or, or the concept around spiritual gifts is that spiritual gifts are not for your benefit. They are not there for you. They are there for others. When the Holy Spirit came and lived within you and, and dwelled within you and, and as the Holy Spirit looks to express a part of himself through, through your strengths and your abilities and, and your passions and your desires... That is for the benefit and the blessing of others. It is not there to help you make more money. It is not there to, to help you advance up, up the corporate ladder. If you, if you have a corporate ladder, I don't know. Um, but it's not, it's not there for you. It is, it is there for others. He, you know, he names prophecy, teaching, leadership, right? That is so that you can serve the body of Christ or to serve those outside the church and help them in their journey towards Christ. And I think that's why Paul includes, you know, in this section about loving one another with, within the church, why he names spiritual gifts, because they're there for the purpose of serving other people, right? When, when Christine, when, when the worship team get up here and lead us in worship, that blesses the rest of us, right? I mean, when, when Diane and the ushers, right, they're tasked with hospitality and safety, and so when they work with creating an atmosphere of hospitality when we arrive in the morning, 
that blesses us. You know, when uh, chairman of the leadership team, right? So currently that, that's Mark. So when he exercises good leadership, that blesses the rest of us, right? When, when Chad nails those PowerPoint transitions every time, you know, that blesses the rest of us. And, and those are just examples on, on a Sunday morning. I mean, there's, you know, how you exercise that in the broader community and, and, draw, and helping people in their journey towards Christ. It is also interesting that, that one of the things that, that Paul names in there with spiritual gifts is he does give a warning about pride. Have to be careful about pride. Um, pride will bring you down, and, and not just you, but, but the entire team you're on. It, it's corrosive, um, and it will just, it, yeah, it'll sink your, your whole team. Verse 9, Paul continues, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. In all of Scripture, that's the most condensed section of just kind of bullet points on how we you know, live as Christians. And at, at first I thought, okay, well, we've got like a dozen things here and it's kind of random, but, you know, Paul is just kind of, you know, shooting off all the, all these different ideas. Now I, I think that actually they're all tied to the very first sentence. That Paul says, let love be genuine. And then he nails off about 10 or 12 things on what that specifically looks like. Genuine love abhors what is evil. Genuine love holds fast to what is good. It loves one another with brotherly affection. It outdoes one another in showing honor. And, and on and on and on. Because here's the thing. Human love and godly love are very different. Very different. Human love really, I, I would offer to you, is inherently selfish because in human love, we love the other person because ultimately of how they make us feel, right? I, I feel so energized when I'm around him or her. I, I, I feel so cared for or heard when I'm around him or her. I, I feel so alive when, when I'm around him or her. But the focus at the end of the sentence is always how I feel. Human love um, desires the other person, it desires their, their company, but, but ultimately it desires their love in return, and human love ultimately does not desire to truly serve them. Human love cannot tolerate the breaking of a friendship. Human love cannot tolerate when there's effort, but there's nothing given in return. Human love cannot cannot love the enemy. And that is why human love really is inherently selfish. But the place where human love stops is really the place where godly love begins. Godly love sourced in Jesus Christ is the only way this is possible. Godly love desires to serve the other person. Godly love seeks their benefit. And it is difficult, but by God's grace and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, Godly love is actually able 
to love the enemy. I mean, godly love can still be energized when we're around another person. It can still feel cared for, and, and that's great. But, but human love is ultimately energized by the response of the person, whereas godly love is ultimately energized not by their response, but it's energized by Jesus Christ, meaning how they respond is ultimately indifferent to us because it's not powered by how they respond. It's powered by the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. Critical difference. Now, because we live in an evil world, whenever I, I talk about this, I always have to add a few disclaimers. Do not stay in an abusive relationship. Um, godly love does not equal trust. Sometimes trust has to be re-earned in small increments. Um, maybe even do not stay in an abusive work environment. Sometimes church members need to be released from fellowship. So there are kind of things I, I always have to add on. But, but this main idea that human Human love is based on, on his or her response and how they make us feel. But godly love is sourced in Christ, and so it always desires to serve and to bless the other person regardless of how they make us feel. And I think that leads us right into, into what we've been seeing in the news recently. You know, the past two weeks, we've seen a lot of conversation around race and racism. And I think we're, we're witnessing a world that, that, is, that is trying to figure out how to handle race and, and racism. And I think we're watching a lot of the world flounder really bad. Through Jesus, we as the church learn how to love one another. I mean, this is what we've just been talking about. This should be our specialty. Like, this is the thing we should be really, really good at. Like, this should be the thing, like, where it's in our wheelhouse, where we're the experts, and we're able to teach and show others. We cannot abandon this rich opportunity to show the world what brotherly love looks like. A few definitions, just to make sure that, that we're kind of on the same page. Um, race. Uh, race uh, refers to a group of people, uh, similar and distinct physical characteristics, such as skin color or hair type. That's about as far as it goes, right? Like, part of my ancestors are Scottish and Irish, meaning I had red hair as a kid, and I sunburned really easily. Two hours at the swimming pool, SPF 50, and I'm still red this morning, all right? Ethnicity. Ethnicity is, is a fuller term. It refers to a group of people who regard themselves, you know, uh, common ancestry, common culture, nationality, history, homeland, language, art, religion, that kind of thing, right? The people group Mennonites, you could say, are an ethnicity, right? Mennonite always gets confusing because we use it so many different ways, but there's a people group Mennonite, and so they would have a, a shared ethnicity. Racism is where you look at a person you, you, or a group of people, you make an assumption about them based on their race, based on their ethnicity. Usually these assumptions are, are negative. Um, no one really seems to care if you make a positive assumption, but I would offer that technically there's an element of racism in that as well, too, simply because you're making an assumption based solely on race or ethnicity. The, the term that is being left out of the conversation that I do think would be hugely helpful in this conversation, though, would be culture. Culture is your worldview, and I think that is at the root of a lot of the problems of what's going on, and culture refers to a, a group of people, whether small or large, and kind of that 
collective worldview. And so do you have a culture that honors all races, or do you have a culture that belittles other races? And that culture may be a a church, it it may be a community, it may be a town, a state, maybe a whole nation. So what is is the culture view towards towards other races? Culture allows us to talk about, um, you know, specific police precincts. Is the culture healthy? Is it unhealthy? It lets us talk about, um, you know, particular judges or or courthouses and what's the culture there and and the treatment of races and, and ethnicities. Racism is wrong, it's a sin, it's an affront to God's creation. It is inherently biased at all levels, and there's no room for it whatsoever amongst God's people. I would offer that that if you want to bring about change, that we always say, I start with me first. So what's my sin? Right? Where have I harbored wrong thinking against my brothers or sisters in Christ? And I work on that. Secondly, Asking other brothers and sisters, have I belittled you? Have I offended you? Have I, have I treated you in an ungodly way? And if so, apologize and make amends. Beyond that, like what are, what are the cultures that you're a part of? What kind of sphere of influence do you have? And is there a communal sin in that and working to bring about change in, in, in your sphere of influence, in your different culture groups? And also just being very careful how you vote in any and all elections. Vote in all elections. I don't understand people who don't vote should vote. Some would advocate a mentality that says, I don't see color. And I don't think that's that's any good either because it denies the beauty of God's creation. In his profound wisdom, God made people of all kinds, shapes, colors, sizes. It's a thing of beauty and denying the color denies the beauty. Revelation 7-9, I never really noticed this uh, until these last couple of weeks. Revelation 7-9, so, I mean, we're, we're, in, we're in heaven here, um, and, and it writes, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. And what I've never noticed before is that this verse suggests that our race— our ethnicity, our nationality, and even our language will follow us into heaven. Now, presumably, there's some kind of communal language that we all speak. I'm not sure, right? Because otherwise, I'm going to be in language school for like 40,000 years. But, but it implies, though, that all of that will follow us into heaven. Your race, your ethnicity, your language is a good and beautiful thing that you will get to showcase in heaven for all eternity few other verses. Galatians 3, 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Romans 8. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God are called the sons of God. The African American, the Native American, the Mexican, the Canadian. Anyone who has accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior is not just another Christian. They are my sibling. They are my brother and sister. Those are siblings in Christ. A love that seeks to serve others, a godly love. This should be our area of expertise, and this should be a spot where we are able 
to lead the world in what it means to love one another. Human love is inherently selfish because it is based on the response of how the other person makes us feel. But godly love begins where human love ends. Godly love seeks to serve the other person. Godly love seeks the betterment of the other person. And this is true for our marriage. This is true for our co-workers. It's true for our church. It's even true in, in how we interact with our children. Human love will always come up short. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ that we are able to love beyond that and love when there is no response. Because of this, brotherly love should be our expertise. We should be better at this than anyone. We're not perfect. We have room for growth. But but this should be our area of expertise. All sourced out of Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Let's pray, and then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for um, just the power of your truth, God. We thank you for scripture. We thank you that by your Holy Spirit, you enable us to love beyond where human love could take us. That by your Holy Spirit, we are able to love when there is no response. That we, were a- that we are able to love the enemy that we are able to love the unlovable, that we are able to love those who don't love in return, that we are able to love in face of the broken friendship. And sometimes we we are even able to, to love in the strained marriage. And God, we give you great praise and thanks for this because we recognize that this is not of our own doing, this is not of our own power. This is a characteristic of who and who you are. Because even when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, I I pray that your church, that our local church, this church here, but also the global church, would be known and seen for its love of one another. And that we would be able to take what we have learned from you, what we have experienced from you, we'd be able to bless others with that and lead the charge in what it means to love and serve one another. God, thank you for the gift of being part of this community, the gift of being part of Living Hope Church. Thank you for for the gift of of being part of this community here in Henderson. Lord, I pray that our little culture is marked by a love of you and a love of others. We're so very grateful. We worship you and we love you. 